May I help you? Yes, you have a reservation for an Axel Foley. Episode 2 of the And Why Not Summer of Action Specials 2022. The summer special episodes from the movie podcast from the nose who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and each episode for this 10-part series I'm joined by a guest to talk about an 80s or 90s action movie carefully selected from the long list the guests had to pick from. Last week we kicked things off with Lethal Weapon and still to come we'll be discussing, in no particular order, Commando, Cobra, Taffin, Last Action Hero, Out for Justice and the Nick Cage Holy Trinity of Conair, Faceoff and The Rock. For this episode, though, I'm joined by Damien Edwardson as we head back to 1984 to discuss the Eddie Murphy action comedy, Beverly Hills Cop. I hope you enjoyed the film talk, and as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials and in the And Why Not Facebook group, uh, or wherever you see this episode posted. And now, with an advance warning for spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer for Beverly Hills Cop. is a Detroit cop <laughs> on vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with an Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. I don't want to take it anymore. For a man who claims to be on vacation, you look a lot like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, no. I'm picnicking. This is like a picnic area. I have to ask you some questions about Michael Tandino. I never been to a cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while? Because I ordered some pizza. We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place, then jumped out the window. May I help you? Yeah. I'm looking for Victor Maitland. I have nothing to say to you. Your badges and your guns and you're on the job, right? Make sure we get the right drinks because if I drink club soda, I'll throw up. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. I suspect you are the pride of your department in Detroit. It seems painfully obvious you haven't the slightest idea who you're dealing with. I don't know what y'all think I am, killing some kind of fool. Hurry up, quicker! Crawl back to your little stone in Detroit before you get squashed. Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Hello, Damien. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm I'm back again. I'm like mold. You can't get rid of me. Well, we're working our way through the bees at the minute, aren't we? We've done Batman. Now we're on Beverly Hills Cop. That's true. That's it. You've spoiled it now, haven't you? You've given it away. I thought uh, we were going to do 
I thought I was going to do like um, one of those. And tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Eddie Murphy back <laughs> when he was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll distance myself from you being Eddie Murphy just because, you know, the connotations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't 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 email and complain to Stuart because we're on video and I'm not dressed like Eddie Murphy. So there's none of that. It's just merely a harmless remark made in the context of Eddie no, Murphy being the lead. It's fine. People know. I mean, to be fair, who didn't want, watch this film and want to be Eddie Murphy? Um, Probably Eddie Murphy, I would think, sometimes. Well, possibly. But, um, possibly but now I, off, but. Uh, Well, yeah, I don't think he wanted to be anything, did he, as it turns out. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because when I was re-watching it, because I've not, not actually seen it for quite a while, and I've forgotten how much I really enjoyed it, actually. It did have me laughing. There's certain bits in it that we'll come on to that always make me laugh. Yeah. Even after all this time, they still make me laugh. And they're just it's the first time I've watched it in a while. Yeah. I did a, tried to do a trilogy watch a couple of years ago. So I did that and Beverly Hills Cop 2, and I just couldn't bring myself to get to three. I mean, we'll get onto the sequels in a bit. but Yeah. But, I'm a bit, a bit hazy on the sequels. Almost yeah, I am that. as well. Um, all right, and so Cats Out of the Bag, we're uh, talking about Beverly Hills Cop. Um, so, written by Daniel Petrie, I'm assuming that's right, um, Danilo Bach, why not? Yeah. Uh, directed by Martin Brest, starring Eddie Murphy, um, Judge, Rein- Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, Lisa Elbacher. And Stephen Burkhoff uh, released in cinemas on the 5th of December 1984 in the US and the 25th of January 1985 in the UK. So not a massive wait for the not time. Not that time, yeah, no, no. It was uh, when you think we'd how get long, it, like summer, wouldn't we? Yeah, we well, we think how long we wait for Batman. That's that it. Kill me. Um, but this was quite quick when you look That's at it, the about um, a month and a half, isn't it? It's not, yeah, and the shift on it, it was quite, you know, it was actually quite quite speedy, wasn't it, for its time? Yeah. But I think it was such a massive hit. That they just wanted to get it out, didn't they? You know, it caught. I think it caught everybody by surprise. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's touted, isn't it? It's been like the first action comedy film, um, like you know, full-on action yeah. comedy film. Which I was kind of thinking, is it though? And then I thought, but I thought, well, actually, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> to be yeah. Fair. I mean, we'll, again, we'll get onto that in a minute because there's some tonal shifts in it that are quite. Hmm. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But yeah, so. Success-wise, grossed um, $360 million, uh, $360, worldwide on an estimated budget of $13 million. So, you know, no slouch. Not bad. Especially by that standards then as well. Potentially yeah. looking at close to a billion-dollar movie kind of thing now. Not bad return, is it? Absolutely. Um, Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars out of four, saying Beverly Hills Cop is a movie with an enormously appealing idea. A tough black detective from Detroit goes to Beverly Hills to avenge the murder of a friend. Uh, But the filmmakers apparently expected Eddie Murphy to carry this idea entirely by himself. He seems a bit more favourable in this than the clip I watched on Siskel and Ebert, where they both took a massive dump on the film. Again, I've said before, we said with Batman, I like Roger Ebert, but there's a lot of things that his opinions I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I mean, possibly at that time it was unoriginal. Possibly it was relying a lot on Eddie Murphy. I mean, we've got the beauty of hindsight now. Um, he yeah, but then. the thing is, though, people forget just 
actually how popular Eddie Murphy was at the time. And I suppose it's difficult now because if, if, again, it's one of those things that we've got the, like you said, the benefit of hindsight and also experience. And if, I don't know how old you, you would have been at the time, but I mean, I was around 13, 14. I was five um, when it came out. Yeah, so of course I kind of I, I knew Eddie Murphy was he was he was you know he was a pretty big deal um, just generally you know seen him in things like Forty Eight Hours Trading Places um, knew of him from reading things about Saturday Night Live and I think I can't remember one of the channels used to show bits of Saturday Night Live now and then and he was in those and then of course there was the infamous bootleg audio cassette of Delirious that went yeah. around school. Um, I think it was me mate Dell had actually had a copy of it and I caught I taped it and and he was just he was a huge huge star he was a massive star so it's you forget that now because people just think of him as the donkey from Shrek yeah. and that guy that made a load of shit films which to be fair is, isn't a bad description of his if it's the second part of his career but the first part of his career he was an absolute you know barnstormer um, yeah, because I mean, this is sort of peak Eddie Murphy, isn't it? You got this yeah. trading places, coming to America. Yeah. Sort of Golden anything. Child. Yeah, I mean, Golden Child was sort of where it started to come off the rails for him, wasn't it? Golden yeah, Child I mean, I'll, I'll enjoy Golden Child. I like Golden Child, but yeah, it's not a classic movie by any means. And um, I, I, but I think those three and Forty Eight Hours, so four, were sort of your peak Eddie Murphy, and then he sort of had a renaissance a little bit in the late nineties with Nutty Professor and Bowfinger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, the last thing I saw that I enjoyed him in was Harlem Nights. Um, because just the, th- for years. just the thought of him and Richard Pryor Richard on Pryor. screen together yeah. was just, just, you know, I mean, it, it was wet your pants time. Because yeah. it's just like, you know, it sucks. it's not a great film, but it's all right. You know, it's a bit. I love him in Bowfinger for the same reason that it's him and Steve Martin. It's like yeah. two comedy giants. Yeah, yeah. Because his, his influences were quite funny, actually, because obviously he, he was a huge Richard Pryor fan. I mean, he, he talks about that quite a lot. Um, I mean, most most people were, you know, they they kind of grew up watching people like Richard Pryor, and um, you know, <laughs> it's probably not not as popular to say, but um, you know, um, Crosby, uh, Cosby as well. Bill yeah. Cosby was a huge stand-up star in the states, and I mean, people forget about that with him. Take but, everything else away. Bill Cosby was a great stand-up comedian. Yeah. But a bit of an asshole even back then, to be fair. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like to say, take all that away, just based purely on his stand-up material. Yeah, but he, even the way he treated other comedians, I mean, he used to ring up Richard Pryor and tell him off. You know, because <laughs> I think that encouraged Richard Pryor even more, didn't it? Yeah, and then and he, then he started ringing up Eddie Murphy and telling him off. And then Eddie Murphy would ring Richard Pryor and go, Bill's just rung me up and told me off. <laughs> it's like <laughs> and there's a great line where he says well what did you say to me and he said well i didn't know what to say and, and richard price well next time he rings and tells you i tend to have a have a coke and a smile and shut the fuck up you know <laughs> it's just like but it was well, a weird, weird i, I don't triangle. think bill cosby's got the uh high ground anymore has he <laughs> no i doubt it but um it's that weird triangle but but he kind of also cites uh peter sellers as well eddie yeah. murphy he's one of his great comedic heroes and you think wow you know what a strange line to draw um comedy wise but then that's what comes into play with with the different voices and the comedy stuff he did where he played multiple characters it all came from watching peter sellers apparently yeah and he always used to do that as a kid and you think that's interesting but again he was he was a i cannot 
stress this. You know, he was a massive, massive star at the time, yeah. and he was like shit in the field. It was like there was a. It, it was almost like every week there's a new Eddie Murphy film coming out. I mean, it's complete <laughs> nonsense, but it was like me and Salty were cinema club. We were doing the 80s cinema. It seemed like every other week there was an Eddie Murphy film, and it's when you look back at the date, you're like, well, that can't be right. But it was very, very odd. But he was, he was huge. So. Yes, he could have carried the film, and and arguably he does carry the film. Um, and a lot of it, when you watch things like Delirious, there's a, there's a lot of overlap between the material in Delirious and also some of the gags and the way that that he approaches some some set pieces within the film as well. Yeah, you know, um, probably which is why I still find them funny to this day. But yeah, he was good in his in his prime. He was really really good, and um, but. I've got to say, I could also understand how, even in his prime, some people would just not like him at all. You know, I think every comedian has that, don't they? I mm. think most comedians are Marmite, either. It's like Ryan Reynolds now. There's a whole school of people that are like, if I see another Ryan Reynolds film, I'm going to stab my eyes out. And there's another whole other host of people that are like, you know, I'm really keen mm. for the next Ryan Reynolds film. I love everything yeah. he does. Yeah, but very true. Around the same time as Eddie Murphy, Chevy Chase, that sort of thing. You either loved yeah. him or you hated him. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, on film anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so sort of, was this part of yours and Salty Cinema Club? No, no, it was too or? early. Um, my story with Beverly Hills Cop was that, obviously, we used to buy those video magazines. I don't know if you remember them, but you used to have the mags that had all the upcoming videos and stuff that were coming out soon. And and I remember Beverly Hills Cop um being featured in that because it came out not wasn't that long i think it was in the october of 85 or something it came out on video if i remember rightly from googling it and looking it up and i remember walking into we used to have this uh, i was living in real at the time we used to have this video shop and i can't remember the name of it we had we had a couple of there was one called calvin it wasn't that one it was another video shop it was huge it was like a really big place i remember walking in and they literally had like a wall full of just Beverly Hills Cop covers nice. um, to rent. And it was like, oh, no. And it's funny because looking at the thing, I was I was 13 at the time, 12 or 13. And but I was back then that we'd just gone through the whole kind of video nasty and banning a load of stuff. But they didn't yeah. actually put any any rules on what you could rent. <laughs> so you could go in and rent anything at any age. You know what I mean? They weren't bothered. Um, I've spoken before about the guy in, when I lived in St. Helens and I was about seven or eight and I'd go in and he'd, he'd be like, you know, oh, have you seen this? He'd be like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff like that. <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, but they just didn't care. They'd rent you anything. And um, I remember we all, you know, we all knew that it was full of swearing and all this lot, you know, it's like, oh, it's, I think it, some people go, oh, it's got the most swear words in any film ever and all that lot. And um I remember going in being so excited when I saw all these copies of Beverly Hills Cop and going home and it was like a Saturday night film um, and we all sat around and watched it and yeah it was it was great I mean everyone enjoyed it I mean you know my mum kind of used to love stuff like that um, she, she always had a bit of a a great sense for films and stuff you know she, yeah. she loved John Waters and David Lynch stuff like that. She, she loved really really odd stuff and she was very broad minded and I think she watched things like delirious on video more times than I did, to be honest, you know, I'd be out, be out in the garden and I'm doing some stuff for me. And I'd come in and she was like watching Beverly Hills Cop or something like that or delirious. And she just, she just liked that kind of stuff. You know, she had a good sense of humor. 
And that's my abiding memory. I can still remember going in and seeing just a wall full of I remember thinking, oh, I bet they've not got it. But I'm not going to get it. It's going to be like six months until we get it. And it was like, oh, no, there it is. Yay. You know, but uh, yeah, that, that was my first thing. And that would have been when it first came out. So that would have been the back end of 85. I think, yeah. Rightly. Say, so, I remember seeing it on telly, but I couldn't tell you when. I'm assuming it was a Saturday night. Cause I'm sure it was one of the big Saturday night films on BBC. Yeah. One. Again, it wasn't the horribly dubbed one, was it? Where they, they... I honestly don't know. I just remember that I loved it oh. and then watched it whenever it was on telly. And then there's, there's a version out there um, that is just so badly dubbed where they try and take all the swearing out. And you can imagine trying to take all the swearing out and overdubbing his voice with a completely different voice, <laughs> you know, and it, it's just so awful. I remember accidentally coming across it once and I think, ah, you know, just watch it. And I was thinking, what the hell? What's going on? It's just like, it'll be half nine, ten o'clock at night. Like, what? Why would you do that? But then again, it's like, why do they have channels that play classic hip hop and, you know, rap and just Norman Collier it to death? Do, do the, the radio edit. Yeah. It's just pointless, see, isn't it? If you're not going like to play it. See, they released Robocop on Blu-ray with the TV edit. It's like all the swearing's been replaced by other things, you know. So yeah. you just get a weird voice come on, and it's like, you know, instead of fucker, it's some very English guy who's like, farmer. Yeah. There was one the other day that somebody put on that they'd seen a TV edit of, and it was, um, I can't remember who it was now, but it was, oh, God, I should have, should have written it down. And it was a famous scene where somebody's storming out, and they're going, you know, and the, the edit is like, and freak you, you freaking freak, freak you. And it's like, and you just think, in this day and age, fucking hell, you know, does it really matter? I mean, with everything that's going on, is that the worst thing that somebody could say on TV? No, because quite frankly, saying something like I voted Tory would be far more offensive, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Then you do deserve a kick in. But um, yeah. yeah, it's just bizarre. But there is, it is, there is a really, really bad Beverly Hills Cop dubbed version out there somewhere. Yeah, you don't seem to get that anymore. That was, no. that was part of the joy of like really weird edits in films. Yeah. It's like, you know, the guy's in the bath and suddenly he's under the water dead. It's like, what happened in the yeah. middle? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, just cut everything out. Put all the bad bits out like when he runs for 10 minutes. Shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it, and it is. And it's one of those films that it's got lots of very, very good bad language, uh, if you know what I mean. Um only has one n-word in it um yes. which is used for kind of comedic effect but when you when you think back as well because that was the most shocking bit when you look at his stand-up and you look at what he was doing at the time eddie murphy um you know i just thought when they said it was bad language they oh it's going to be going to be but it, you know it's just standard stuff to be honest. it's not even that bad when you watch it now no i mean yeah like you say it's that one scene in the hotel isn't it where he's a yeah. And it works. That's the thing. As, as much as it might be today, you know, you might get um, absolutely lambasted for even referring to it. But it, it works in the scene because it's done for maximum effect to make people feel incre- as un- uncomfortable as you could possibly do. And There's bits does. in the film that I'm like, you couldn't do that now. Like that scene in the hotel, a Karen would have called the police by now. Yeah. The bit where he's thrown out of the window and the police car turns up, it's like they would have shot him by now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not making light of that sort of thing. I don't mean to sound like that, but you know, it'd be the shortest film ever. Yeah, it would. It would. 
It's like uh, somebody's just said about um, obviously they've announced the new Doctor Who, haven't they? Yeah. Did you see the thing about you know in the, the first episode will be uh, he'll he'll obviously um, you know he'll transform and then it'll be a knock on the TARDIS door and it'll be a copper going, is this your TARDIS, sir? <laughs> <laughs> oh oh, bit of politics. <laughs> when uh, when old Ben Elton then for a minute. It was so predictable that, wasn't it? You have to Google Ben Elton. Yeah. Probably. Um, Yeah. Anyway, let's go back to the film, shall we? So So, that was my first introduction and really enjoyed it. And I think we rehired it loads until I could afford to. It came out then to buy because they used to sell like X rental copies pretty cheap after the initial rush. And I remember I think I got a copy for about, I think it was about three quid. Yeah, I used to love buying X rentals. Watched the shit out of that as well. And uh, yeah, and then I've not seen it for a long, long time. And then I thought you should watch this more because it is good fun. It is, good it fun. is yeah. Like I say, I'd not watched it for a couple of years. and Because again, it was one that always seemed to be on telly. It probably wasn't, but in, you know, you yeah. remember things as a kid. Yeah. Like certain films that start with that, Aliens. Every Saturday they always seem to be on, but it wasn't. I really hate when you do that. Stop it, all right? Childish. Is that fucking Foley in here? All right, there's time. It's showtime, okay? Hey, boss, I know what you're going to say, but... You I'm... mind telling me where the fuck you come off going undercover without authorization from me? What the fuck is this all about? You want to play some fucking bullshit cowboy cop? Go do it in somebody else's precinct. Don't you want to hear my side of the story? What's your fucking side of the story? Let's hear your side of the story. Hey, Axel. I'm not taking any more of this shit from you. you know how much this little stunt of yours is going to cost this city? I don't think cost is the issue here, sir. I think the issue should be my blatant disregard for proper procedure. You damn right, wise ass! The mayor called the chief, the chief called the deputy chief, the deputy chief just chewed my ass out. You see, I don't have any bit of it left, don't you? When the fuck did you get a truckload of cigarettes from anyway? From the Dearborn hijack. From the Dearborn hijack? That fucking bus went down last week. That truck is supposed to be in the damn pound. I'm trying to tell you. Jeffrey, this is none of your fucking business. This is not my locker. Listen, Axel. No more of these setups, you understand? You're a good cop. And you got great potential, but you don't know every fucking thing. And I'm tired of taking the heat for your ass. One more time, you're out on the street. Do you understand me? Boss, let me tell you. Do you understand me? Yeah, I understand. Boss. The chief ain't true at all out. You still got a little ass there. Don't fuck with me, Axel. Not now. Go on. Go home. And you know how I know a good film from that era? I always love a film that starts with um just shots of people regular people in the street yeah and i always wondered to myself like imagine going to the cinema and just sitting there going hang on a minute it's me <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> some guy like feeding the pigeons or some shit or some somebody acting a bit bit odd in the street and they always video they always film them and you just think they're not actors they can't be actors some of those people when you look at them they're just regular no, it's, people it's, yeah it's got to be grabbed like all the great kind films of... started like that you know saturday night Fever's another one that starts with a load of just regular street stuff and things like that and i, I remember watching that thinking oh yeah i remember watching this and thinking this is going to be good and then it goes straight into the opening scene which is the fantastic sting operation that goes wrong yeah <laughs> um and that, and again i think that's the point where you know if you're an Eddie Murphy fan or not, because he is incredibly annoying in it. Yeah. And he's, he's annoying in the sense that if you if you don't like him, 
you'll be annoying you'll be like i can't watch this fucker for an hour and a half but if you find him funny you find it really funny you yeah. know the way he just he just goes off doesn't he i mean the, the scene that always makes me laugh it still makes me laugh with a haggling over the uh he's trying basically for people that may not have seen it he's got a like a, a load of cigarettes in a in a truck and he's trying to sell them to two guys from new york because he's based in detroit isn't he and um they're haggling over the price you know they, they kind of give him he's meant to have five thousand dollars and they give him two thousand dollars and he's like oh all about oh, my guys always fuck me over with this stuff it's yeah like, take the two and you know next yeah. time it's like no it's like you know and, and it's that bit where he goes five thousand dollars five thousand not two not five that what's my looks five thousand dollars so he's sort of doing it not looking at the guy but just to the side of him and it's stupid and it's childish but it really makes me laugh it, it just and even when i rewatched it it really made me laugh because i thought oh i just love that way he just keeps doing it you know keeps saying it and it's just absurd and then of course the, the cops show up because they don't realize he's doing a sting and it all goes horribly long and it leads into that brilliant um brilliant car chase with the guy just basically wrecking half of detroit um yeah it's like he he starts aiming at cars and stuff isn't it yeah and it's like where are you going to go with a big truck full of fags (laughs) be honest you're not you're not going to get away are you you know truck with two wagons uh, on the back (laughs) yeah and and eddie murphy's swinging on a chain you know (laughs) He, and it's, I love that bit where he just he, he just wraps the chain around his wrist because he knows the guy's going to take off at any minute with the door open. And, and and he's just swinging around. And, of course, he's got the brilliant Neutron dance. I was about uh, to say, point of, it goes straight know. into the point of sisters. This film's got an awesome soundtrack. It won an award, didn't it? Um, the soundtrack. Uh, I can't, was it a Grammy or something it won for the best visual movie soundtrack or something? I think it might have done. I've got yeah. a cassette and I've got it on CD. I, I adore the soundtrack to this. Um, yeah. Rock and Roll Me Again is one of my favourite songs to listen to. Yeah. Um, and of course, Nasty Girl. The system, the strip I don't think it actually it? plays in the film. Uh, rock and no. Roll Me Again. No. But uh, yeah, Nasty Girl, which is written by Prince. Yes. Yeah, as you can tell when you listen to it. I say but, um, Bell, the Axel F theme. Oh, the yeah. It's great as well. It heavily relies on Axel. I've got the score on vinyl. Yeah. Um. It's just and great 80s electronic stuff. Yeah, the the Fontelmeyer kind of um, theme just runs yeah. all the way through it. And it, it, it is funny because it is a bit like a sitcom where it keeps coming in and going out again. But it's still, I don't know, there's something about when you hear that music playing that gets you quite, quite it because you think, oh, well, something's going to happen now. Something's going to happen now, you know, and, uh, and it usually does. But yeah, it's great. So that's the opening gambit where you just hit the ground running. And of course, it all goes horribly wrong. Um, and he goes back to the, the police station, and they all just take the piss out of him. That's it. You've got Paul Reiser doing his his Paul Reiser thing. Yeah, I love Paul yeah. Reiser anyway, but I was a big mad about you fan. Um, and you know, um, <laughs> obviously he's in Aliens as well. Yeah, <laughs> playing a slimier version. Um, I love him, and just the lieutenant. The star oh. lieutenant is great. I love it yeah. where he's laying into him and he goes, don't you want to hear my side of the story? And the lieutenant goes, what's your fucking side of the story? And he goes, let me hear your side of the story. <laughs> and again, it, it, apparently the amount of um, improvisation that he did in this film, and also it's got to be said that um, John Ashton, Judge Reinhold did a lot of improvisation yeah. as well, didn't they? 
But apparently a lot of the stuff that was on the screen was he, he was just just basically Eddie Murphy just riffing on, on the, the scene, you know, playing off people. And you can see it as well when you watch it back, you know, people trying to not, not laugh and stuff. Um, but yeah, Inspector Todd is 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 just brilliant. You know, Gil Hill, I think he was called. Because he, he was a real cop, yeah. wasn't he? He was like yeah. a genuine Detroit cop. And yeah. ended up that being president sort of, of the Detroit like Council. Dennis Farina, that sort of thing, where they just got real cops into. Yeah. But he was like, a good know, actor. He was to like, advise really, on films, really and they just ended up going into acting. It's like Arlie Emery, isn't it, from um, <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. It's like, we can't actually get somebody to play the part this well, so you just fucking do it. And he became an actor from it. Oh, it's brilliant. Brilliant. But he's this, um, so good. That, that guy who plays his boss, he's so good in it. It is, considering he's got such a small part, it's so fucking memorable. Like I say, him yeah. and Paul Reiser, two very small parts, but they stick with you. Yeah. Um, I love the Paul Reiser thing as well. He's like, this is not my locker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> it's the way, like, you know, he knows he's fucked it. So he's like, Axel's like, I'm getting out of here. It's like, he's I'm such a Jeffrey as well. It's like, you, where are you going to go? You know what I mean? <laughs> But it is it is great. And, it, and it, that first opening, I mean, it's a very long car chase, I've got to say. I think it's probably the second longest after, like, the Blues Brothers, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it, it's fun, though. It's not like one of these things where you're like, oh, God, you know, get on with it. Well, I do wonder if the carnage is a reaction to Blues Brothers kind of thing. Because obviously Blues Brothers, most cars totaled in a car chase, isn't it? Yeah. Or even yeah. in a film. But um, So it kind of feels a little bit like he's just hitting cars to get points. Yeah, yeah. It is great, though. Um, so it, it hits the ground running, which is brilliant. You know, it really does, and, and I like that in a film because, I mean, I like I like films that are slow burn and that build up and stuff. But some that's got happening in the first twenty minutes. Well, so it, it, it gets you in, doesn't it? Yeah. And then it slows yeah. down with Mikey turning up. Which can we just say, like tonal shift? That's all great, but the murder of Mikey is really fucking brutal. Yeah, it is. It is really brutal, and it, it's um, given the tone of the but, whole film overall. Just the way he's fucking punched in the gut and shot in the head. Yeah, but it does swing, doesn't it? I mean, the the tone does shift quite a few times, actually. Where you know, and and again, I think this is where I know um, when apparently Sylvester Stallone was attached to the movie originally, wasn't he? And and came quite close to to playing the the lead. Yeah, but he didn't think it would work as a as a comedy. You know, no, because again, he was going to be Axel Cobaretti. Yeah. Which obviously and, is he took over to the film Cobra along with a lot of his ideas for it. Yeah. But again, I think it was that difference between there was a very clear line of delineation between comedy and action. Yeah. And this blurred the two. And you can see that because it's a bit clunky sometimes. But it'll go from comedy set piece to actually quite violent <laughs> scenes and, you know, and, and, and then it'll swing back again. But it, it does it well, because, again, it's quite realistic as well. That, you know, people do find humour in shitty situations sometimes. And, and life does swing like that, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. But you're right. The murder of his mate, um, sort of Mikey, Mikey Tandina, wasn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it really is quite shocking the first time you see it. And I've forgotten, actually, that it happened as cold as it does. You know, they don't even get into the apartment. You know, I mean, it turns up because... His, his mate Mike turns up and he's got a load of uh, German bearer bonds, which I always thought when I was a kid were barra bonds. I was thinking, yeah. what's a barra bond? Like? It's the way the Yanks used to say and, and do you remember in the 80s, fucking barra bonds were everywhere, weren't they? They were like the great MacGuffin of yeah. like, all the films. Were yeah, I had no clue had, what the fuck they were. No, people had 
a barabond. I think it was a barabond, and then obviously I learned it was a barabond, and I learned that, that you know. See, as a, a kid, I generally thought it was something to do with bears. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, no, you think I was probably what seven or eight when I first saw it. Yeah. One of those things is like you're way too young to watch it, but your parents are like, "We're watching this film. You either watch it or you go to bed." So I'll watch this film then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And to be honest, even now, I'm not entirely sure what they are. I mean, I do know that they're, they're kind of like, you know, um, you know, they're issued by companies and governments and stuff. And and the thing that the great thing with with bonds are that they're not actually there's no paper trail with them. So if you if you have them, if you find a suitcase of, of bonds, essentially you're seen as being the owner. Yeah. You know? Which is why they were the perfect kind of mechanism for, i do like for this film. thing like there were so many i didn't think anybody even noticed me missing yeah. uh, nick and a few and he's got a massive brick <laughs> like, 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 like the old five pound notes aren't they like, it's, like, it's not like he nicked two or three he's just got a you, big... yeah i suppose you've got to go back now and say the old old five pound notes not not the old yeah. five pound notes but the really old ones that were yeah, like the ones that like a4 and <laughs> yeah they were like the sunday times weren't they you know what i mean and they're he's got like a shitload on it and you're like well of course they're gonna notice you pudding but then they go out, they have a few drinks, uh, they come home. It sobers him up quick as fuck, though, doesn't it? Because he can't stand up until... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And, you know, the, and there's that lovely touching scene, which I believe they nearly cut, where him and Axel are in the, the hallway and, and kind of like, he says to Axel, you know, I love you. And, and yeah. Axel, yeah, I, I love you too. And apparently at the time, they were going to cut it out, weren't they? And, and, you know, Rest was like, no, no, we're leaving it in, you know. And, um, I mean... <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? It just shows the kind of the, the times that we were in where things like that was still a bit, a little bit questionable. Oh, I can imagine the whole conversation around it. It's like, you know, we don't want him to appear gay. Oh, yeah. It's like, but, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But he is incredibly, he is incredibly effeminate in some, some aspects of it as well. So what would it matter? Do you know what I mean? He's still yeah. kick-ass, isn't he? And then all of a sudden it goes from this lovely, touching little friendly scene to basically you know um it just swivels doesn't it and zach appears which is obviously jonathan banks who people will probably know as mike from breaking bad um, breaking bad and you know and it's like oh i'm really sorry and you're thinking oh you know christ he's gonna give him the bonds back and he's gonna get and then they, they just off him <laughs> they just shoot him in the hallway part of me does wonder if offing him was a good idea yeah. Surely, don't ever show your face in Beverly Hills again. Should have been enough. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I suppose you've got to make a point, don't you? If anybody else is thinking of, you know, taking any bearer bonds, as they would say <laughs> over there, or any bears, even, you know. Um, but you could so, have gone yeah, back they, if you killed Mikey. No one would. And it's just a cold way they do it, you know. It is. It's horrible. It's just like it's the way it just gives him another pop, another pop in the head, and you're like, wow. You know, that's 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 pretty bad. Um so yeah, you kind of do and that's all within the space of probably what, twenty, twenty five minutes yeah, of that? Like the first twenty minutes, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, wow, we're off we're off to the races now. Because I mean plot wise, there's not a lot going on in the film. No. It's it's that set up and then it's you know, another hour of the actual main body of the film kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a lot particularly happens in it, it's just a series of set pieces, but it really works. Yeah. Um so as you mentioned, Stallone, a brief history of it, the production. So it's around 77, Don Simpson, because this is an early Don Simpson, Jerry Brockheimer, yeah. um, went to Paramount with the idea in 1977, um, went through various 
transitions of it was going to be somebody from East LA transferring to Beverly Hills and then somebody from Pittsburgh. At one point, according to Jerry Brockheimer, Mickey Rourke was attached. Uh, he signed a $400,000 holding contract. Not bad, is it? Uh, it was offered to Martin Scorsese, David Cronenberg. Um, then Sylvester Stallone came on. Um, allegedly, he left because his script ideas were too expensive. And like I say, he went on and put the bulk of those into Cobra. Um, I can't imagine this film running as a straight. Well, I mean, I've seen Cobra. So <laughs> uh, well, one, one we'll be talking about on this series as well. But um, yeah. Which then, again, I haven't seen for donkey's years, but I remember enjoying it thoroughly for what it was. It, oh, it's it's it's, it's, like shit. A it's absolute shit, but it's enjoyable yeah. shit. Um, apparently it was offered to everybody from Richard Pryor, Al Pacino, James Caan, Harrison Ford. Can you imagine Harrison Ford as Axel Foley? No. Um, <laughs> imagine him doing the actually. Rolling Stone bit from uh, the lobby. <laughs> I couldn't imagine um, Richard Pryor either, as much as I love Richard Pryor. You know, I absolutely adore Richard Pryor, but I couldn't imagine him. It's another one of those films, isn't it, that it's like Eddie Murphy, 100% perfect. I can't imagine yes. anybody else ever playing this part. Just going to say that, because if, if you'd have gone with somebody like Harrison Ford, who would have done a great turn, it would have been a straight action film. And if he'd have gone with somebody as Richard Pryor, it would have been a straight comedy. Yeah. And But Eddie Murphy straddles that line, you know, because he's actually quite a good actor in it as well. You've got to give him his credit. I mean, he's a bit, bit like, ropey sometimes. But he's actually, for the main chunk of it, he's actually a pretty good actor. And, and he does the serious stuff well. And he does the, obviously, he does the comedy stuff really well. But he is perfect for it. And again, now, yeah. in hindsight, I couldn't think of anyone else that, could have played it or played it any better. It's like the great kind of Michael J. Fox, Eric Stoltz thing in it, where you yeah. think, oh, Eric Stoltz would have, but when you look at Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future, you think nobody else could have done that. No. Actually, as well. They just couldn't have got that balance right, you know. And Eddie Murphy was the perfect guy for this. Um, and thankfully, he, he, he took it on, you know. But, so, I mean, he's got that charisma, hasn't he? Yeah. I think. As a straight movie, this, you know, a straight cop movie, this would have just been lost. It would mm. have had very little impact. I mean, like Roger Ebert said, they expected Eddie Murphy to carry the movie, and I think he does. Yeah. Although, and to I be think... fair, there are some good, there, there's some really good surrounding yeah. actors with him, you know, who I think are equally as, as entertaining. Um, oh, yeah. But I think without the being able to sell it on the Eddie Murphy, I mean, the fact his is the only name on the poster, isn't it? Yeah, and that sort of thing. But um, and it was an Eddie Murphy Productions, wasn't it? So yeah. as well, he was he was sort of into all that stuff as well. So fair play to him. So Mikey's dead. Um, they've taken the the, the bearer bonds back. Um, <laughs> Axel's and, not allowed to investigate, so he takes some vacation. Yeah, but prior to him dying, obviously when they're in the club and they're having a drink and stuff, he's telling, you know, because it, it turns out, and this is where you get a nice little bit of context about where Eddie Murphy's characters come from. So Axel Foley's come up on the streets and, you know, he's been in kind of like romance centres and stuff like that for stealing cars. And and it, it's kind of like, it's nice to see that that relationship between the two and he, his mate could have dobbed him in at one point. He didn't, you know, and, and he didn't do it because he said, I loved, I've always loved you. And it's, it's really kind of a nice scene setter. But he does mention as well that he's been working as a security guard, which is quite amusing given his, his background 
in um, an art gallery in Beverly Hills, and he gives him the, uh, the you know the name of it and stuff, and he mentions he's been working with Jenny Summers, who was a mutual acquaintance of theirs. So, of course, Eddie Murphy, Axel Foley being the great sharp detective he is, decides that he's going to go and investigate because he suspects there is a link somewhere. Somebody's uh, offed him for the Barabon, so off he goes to Beverly Hills on on vacation. Um, with a very strict instruction from uh, his boss that if he finds him anywhere near investigating, it's going to be the longest fucking vacation you've ever heard of. <laughs> it's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> and then you've got that great scene where he's like Eddie Murphy driving through Beverly Hills in his shitty blue. That's it. It's, it's it great fish out of water stuff, and yeah, got, yeah. And he's driving along and he's just laughing constantly. Uh, and it's again, when the two you know, guys walk by in the Michael Jackson jackets. Yeah, which again, <laughs> were, get up. They were and they were very similar to the jacket you wore in well, um, this Delirious is raw as well, jacket, isn't it? Or Delirious, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's brilliant and it's just this constant. It's like to look at you know him in this shitty car going past you know Gucci and Armani and all this lot, and it's just it's just a great scene setter and then obviously he goes to the hotel and I think he says to the guy isn't it is this is this hotel expensive and he goes not for Beverly Hills <laughs> and he goes oh, I'll do then and he goes in and, and you know they haven't got a room that's where it, the infamous kind of um, bit about I'm here from Rolling Stone I'm here to interview Michael Jackson and you know that's what he finds out imagine is a night <laughs> even yeah. with his reduced rate Michael Jackson so I'll be fine <laughs> sitting on top of the world is the article which is funny because apparently in um, I think it was time or something they ran an article which was eddie murphy sitting on top of the world prior to for the film so he kind of just lifted it but he, he manages to blag a room and a suite at that and um and then it's like 200 and odd dollars a night and now you think oh, that's quite a bargain actually yeah you know but he's, <laughs> he's still there gulping and he going that's fine <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just great um but yeah it's a good it's a good kind of it's a good way of setting the the kind of juxtaposition, I suppose, between his character and where he's come from to where That's he it. is. And it's mad. I mean, it's like, it's just insane, isn't it? When you look yeah. At it. I, I mean, I've never been. I've only ever seen it. <laughs> no, no. In, Not a single hillbilly. Very disappointed. Yeah. You know. I was, uh... What about a Girl Scout troop? <laughs> <laughs> I had my eyes open for a Seaman Pond, <laughs> which I used to think it was when I was a kid. I used to think they had a seaman pond, and uh, <laughs> everyone pointed out, no, the saints to men, don't say seaman. It's not, it's not what you think. You're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then he, then he heads off to the um, to the art right. gallery, doesn't That's he? It, where, uh, where he meets Serge. The, lo- the lovely Lots Serge. Peacock, he was brilliant. Really. Absolutely. Most famous brilliant. role. I know he was in that American sitcom, but I can't remember what it's called. We didn't oh, get um, it over here, did we? Yeah, we did. Did, did we? Yeah. yeah, he played Balky, didn't he? In, um... That's it. In oh, was it something Cousins or? Yeah, know. something like that. I can't remember well, exactly. It was this well, and an episode of Lois and Clark that I knew him from because he played the toy man. Yeah, but oh, apparently no, that's that, sorry. He played that, the prankster in Lois and Clark. Ah, right. But that was meant to be two two characters, wasn't it, in the art yeah. gallery? And then he just basically knocked out of the park and you're like, oh, we'll just just have you and you get more screen time. 
but he's brilliant in it. He's he's such a great character, Serge. He's like he's he's offering them tea, and he's like, you know, do you want the lemon? He's <laughs> like, it's just the way. He's just so great. He's so nice and so great. Have you ever sold one of these? It's like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. I cannot get out of here. You know, it's just so well done. I'm fine. My name is Serge, and how can I help you? Um, yeah, I'm looking for Miss Jenny Summers. It's very busy today. Maybe you give me your name? My name is Axel Foley. And uh, what is pertaining? I didn't understand what you said pertaining, what it's meaning, regarding. Oh, what's it regarding? I'm an old acquaintance of hers. Donay, one moment. Donay, when it tell me Summers that uh, Mr. Ahmed Foley is here to no, see... Axel Foley. Axel. Ahmed, Ahwell. Axel. Foley is here to see her. These are old acquaintance. Donay, this cover this up. It's I'm like sorry. the breast of a dog to scrub for the customer. It's not sexy, it's animal. No, it's not sexy at all. May I offer you something to drink? A wine, a cocktail, a, a espresso? No, I'm fine, thank you. I'll make it myself right back there with a little lemon twist. It's good, try it. No, I'm, I'm fine. I see you look at this piece. Yeah, I was wondering how much something like this went for. $130,000. Get the fuck out of here! No, I cannot, it's serious because it's very important piece. Have you ever sold one of these? Sell it yesterday to a collector. Get the fuck out of here! Somebody else has said it myself. <laughs> Axel Foley, what on earth are you doing here? How you doing? I'm fine. Hold a second, I'll be right down. Great. Excuse me, Serge. There's a genuine kind of. I don't know. There's just a, you. And again, it could just be purely well written and well acted. But yeah, you know, it's almost like there's a genuine affection between the two characters when they're doing that whole scene you know i don't know how much of that was probably scripted but it was just really really good um and then yeah you know obviously the uh jenny comes down the lovely jenny who is your kind of your typical 80s kind of movie uh, you know um bigger you know um very attractive and a potty mouth which is yeah. always i always found very appealing um as uh, as anyone who's met h probably is aware but um, yeah, yeah, she's she's and she's actually good in it as well. She's she's quite a good actress in it. I don't I think like she ever really did much else, did she? I think she did uh, Officer and a Gentleman. She was I in think that. So yeah, she was in but, uh, uh, it was um, Relative Strangers was the right sitcom yeah. just for the people screaming at this uh, thing. Yeah. Um, I like yeah, I really like I really like as well that because I think in the Stallone version she was going to be his love interest. I really oh, like that I they didn't shoe on in a love interest thing. I like that they were just childhood friends. Yeah, because again, you can Which imagine you can, you can imagine this studio notes coming down. You can like, can we get them to fuck in a scene? So it's yeah. the 80s. It's a cop movie because you get the whole thing of like we've got to get tits in this somewhere. It's like, well, we'll do the thing where the cops go to the strip club. Yeah, because yeah. you can't have an 80s cop movie without a strip club scene. Oh well, it'd be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Be you can't solve a crime without going to a strip club. That's why I'm always in strip can't. clubs. I'm trying to solve um, murders. Honest. If you're not sticking a 20 in a g-string, you're never going to solve a crime, are you? No, you're never going to find out who the killer is. It's ridiculous. Um, and again, that that's a great scene. And I know we're jumping forward, but the bit where they're in the, stri- in, in the strip club where Eddie Murphy's having a little dance because he's so excited. <laughs> it's just it's just so good. It's just little things. Honestly, if you've never seen it, he's just he's like he's just having a great time, you know. And he's got these two cops that are on club soda because um, 
you know, Taggart's a real kind of by the book guy, isn't he? And and you know, but anyway, we'll come back to that. But yeah, so he meets Jenny at the at the art gallery, doesn't he? And then you know, she's she's kind of trying to say, oh, she doesn't think there's any connection to to her boss Maitland, but you know, he's not having it, is he? He's going to investigate. Yeah. So yeah, you get a. Obviously evil Stephen Burkhoff being obviously evil. In a kimono, in his <laughs> office. I mean, you don't get better than that, do you? That's, yeah, that's so what even, you Even when he's trying to be nice, you know, that whole thing that villains always do, like, oh, I'm shocked. Yeah. Do you have any leads sort of thing? It's like, yeah. even with that, you're sinister as fuck. It's brilliant. I mean, the, the thing is, though, I can remember that, you know, if ever you wanted to portray someone as evil in the 80s, you just put them in a kimono, and then you thought, this is a bad fucker, this. <laughs> and, I mean, who wears a kimono in the office? It's like he's got an English accent and he's he's in a kimono. He's clearly evil. He's clearly the devil, isn't he? Um, and he's one of the world's top art dealers. Yeah, of course he is. You know what I mean? But more on that. But um, yeah, and the they end up escorting him out, don't they? He gets a bit too. Uh, I love that they escort him out and then throw him through the window. Well, again and again, that's a sign of wealth, that, isn't it? Where you can afford yeah. to. Break your own window. This and the end scene where they go to the mansion is kind of like just a willful destruction of property for no yeah. reason. So they throw, so they, they escort him out of the art gallery, and then instead of escorting him out, they just throw him through the big big window as you do. You know, I mean, if you were Stephen Burkoff in your kimono, you'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know what I mean? It's like it's not going to look good. Made of money there for business, is it? Yeah. Um, and then of course the cops show up. And they arrest him for, for loitering and causing a disturbance. And there's that great line in the word. He goes, what do you do if I got run over? <laughs> fucking arrest me for jaywalking. <laughs> it's like, it's that, and then when he's in the police car, it's like, this might be the cleanest police car yeah. I've ever been in. Been and in. then when he's in the prison cell, yeah. in the jail cell, he's like, I've never been in a cell with a phone before. It's like, can I stay in here a bit longer because I've ordered a pizza? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm and sure somebody will eat it's just brilliant, and, and they're all so polite, aren't they? You know, all the cops are so polite, and it's like this. But they're all very by the book, which is great. Is a great foil for his character, where he's obviously not by the book at all. The thing where Taggart um, has to apologise to him for punching him in the gut and asking yeah, him if he wants he to press charges. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, I you know, I don't, I don't. We, where I come from, we don't press charges against other cops. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's great. But that's where we meet Rosewood and Taggart, who are a fantastic duo on screen, aren't they? The, the, so, the polar opposite to Riggs and Murtar. <laughs> and apparently, they, when they were auditioning and they had different couples, they they basically put them together. They were swapping them in and out, and they got Judge Reinhold, <clears throat> excuse me, and John Ashton together. And they said this thing about, we want you to just, you know, ad lib as though you were an old married couple. I was going to say, and just an old man. The whole thing where he's in the uh, police car and he's lecturing him about his health. Yeah, about, you know, did you know that the average American has like, you know, five pounds of meat in his bowel? By the time and, he's, and 40, he's like, it's like, why are you telling me that? It's like, well, you eat a lot of red meat. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just, uh, but again, it, apparently he just made that up, didn't he, Judge Rhino? You know, he just it's came just up with perfect it. as well because it cuts between that and Eddie Murphy. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Eddie Murphy knows that, he, that um, the tail in him, um, you know, and he's like, uh, He's trying to, so he's trying to wind them up. So he sends them meals out, you know, send up a hot plate and a dinner out. And you've got Judge Randall enjoying his sandwich. You know, when Taggart refuses to have anything. And 
<laughs> it's just and then the, the great banana scene that's it the infamous banana it's and, really selling and him on the fruit, buff, the fruit buffet isn't it it's yeah, like what you get with 15 dollars like, i don't want a platter a couple of bananas. <laughs> but i've often wondered and and somebody might be able to tell us this um so write into Stuart and let him know don't don't fucking write to me because <laughs> but would shoving a banana up a tailpipe actually stop a car from running now i, 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 I want to know how many kids did that yeah i'm pretty sure I, I, a couple of kids in my school did it to one of the teacher's cars but I'm, that might be a mismemory from a childhood kind of thing yeah part of me thinks it'd just shoot straight back out again um unless you jammed it right up there but i don't know I'm not sure. So if any petrol heads out there have ever tried the banana up the tailpipe trick. Um, this is not a euphemism. In, let's be clear. And let us know. <laughs> <laughs> write in and let us know. Well, write. I don't want your dear Pentos letters. Yeah. Sending pictures. <laughs> <laughs> this is me inserting my, my banana into a tailpipe. <laughs> I'm in love with my car. Oh, hang on. Oh, don't. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, he, he makes the life a misery. Um, by shaking them off and, and, you know, driving like a loony. And he ends up in Maitland's warehouse, doesn't he, where he, he finds the Barabons and he also finds, you know, coffee beans, mm, coffee grinds. And it's like, oh, all right. And what are they for? Well, as, as any good cop knows, you use coffee grounds to cover the, you know, to put the dogs off the scent for well, uh, drugs. If the cops under him don't know, but Ronnie Cox knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he ends up following the parcel, doesn't he? And he ends up in the uh, customs bit. Which that parcel is put with a latest arrow on it saying this way up, and they clearly put it on its side. Well, being a professional of the field, you would see things like that, wouldn't you? Just, you mean, know, it's just, yeah, respect it, the parcel. It, it, it must be the thing that kind of keeps you awake at night, that, Stuart. It's like when you watch programmes and they're carrying a pizza and then they hold it sideways. It's like, <laughs> that's just all your toppings gone. <laughs> what are you fucking doing? It's like then when they open it, it's perfect. It's a bullshit. Well, what's something like you know, uh, um, some crime thing, and like they were, they were tramping around the crime scene. Nature be going, well, you wouldn't be fucking allowed in there without a suit and a hat and a hairnet, and would you? You know, <laughs> you know, this like CSI. It always got me. It's like sometimes it's like, oh, there's a piece of evidence. Take a photo of it, and then we'll pick it up. Other times it's like, oh, there's the shell casing. Yeah, why do you need to take a photo of that? <laughs> Uh, the inconsistency of police work on television i know it's a, it's a shocker it's, a it's shocker. not my biggest bugbear my biggest bugbear is when you've got like a group of like eight people and they've got a pizza and it's like that would feed me by itself what the fuck is this bullshit that you're sharing that out between this whole room yeah somebody ain't getting pizza really that's it yeah, right. and considering as well that you usually get like two for one tuesdays it's yeah, a bit exactly. it's a bit tight isn't it? it's not on it's not on at all so no. Anyway, we digress in here. <laughs> I, I do like that warehouse, the um, custom scene. Again, how he just blags his way into them believing yeah. that. I like the thing about, you know, are you the one with the Porsche parked outside? Because yeah. I can get the IRS up your ass and it will not yeah. be a fun experience. And, <laughs> and again, the guy's it... like, you know, that's not my Porsche outside. I don't know whose it is. It's like, well, you don't have to have anything to worry about then, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is just top top kind of Eddie Murphy isn't it? it's, it's just that, that whole that talk like of... and you can get away with anything yeah. <laughs> and it's true you know, to, to a high degree I mean how many people do you see that just talk absolute shit but say it with such confidence that people believe them and you're like but they're just talking shit confidently it's still I, shit I've, I've worked with a lot of them it's like 
glitter on a turd, isn't it? It's still the turd. What's the matter with you? But um, but yeah, so he he, he kind of likes the customs, gets the gets all that kind of information, and then he realizes that they're doing a diddle where things are coming to the warehouse before they've gone through customs. They're taking the barabons and the drugs out, obviously, and then they're packing them back off to customs, and and it's it's a whole kind of crime syndicate thing going on. Um, and all because they offed his mate Mikey in the corridor, um, and and then it kind of ends up with <clears throat> he's he's not only in the shit with the Detroit police, then he's in the shit with the Beverly Hills police, isn't he? Um, yeah. And <laughs> and again, it's another great um, sort of Ronnie <laughs> Fox. It's a great character in it, and he. He's it's like, weird seeing him play a good guy as well. Yeah, but from this, I think, isn't this what led to him being in things like Total Recall and Robo? Yeah. Because people thought, like, oh, he looks like a corporate shit house. You know, he'd be good him, you know. And um, yeah, he made a bit of a career from it, didn't he? But he is good in it, though. And he does, I, I do like the way he does a complete, like, 180 at the end. And yeah. Like, he's all, he's balls in and he, like, <laughs> let's go and get him, you know, fuck him. And it's just brilliant. But, um, yeah, it's it's that weird, and again, it, it tonally shifts, doesn't it, from kind of being quite serious, you know, in, in the the whole kind of um, not just the customs bit, but in the whole warehouse bit, and then you realise there's a bigger thing to this, and then it goes back to the comedy stuff, and then you know you've got the whole super cops um, kind of line, you know, where they get caught in the strip bar, don't they? And you know they're going, so you know what happened, and he says, oh, you know. They followed me into the strip bar and then they noticed, you know, um, it's this Taggart and Roseville noticed. That they they waited outside, but then you notice the guys come in wearing the yeah. jackets. And apparently just made all that up on the spot, didn't he? Because when you watch it, John Ashton's pissing himself <laughs> next to it. Is that not watching that bit today? And he's absolutely yeah killing there's, himself laughing. There's a lot of little bits of John Ashton corps in. Yeah. And you just think, yeah, it must have been amazing. But apparently the story but that was that because <clears throat> they filmed that just after they'd done the um, the stripper club scene. And I never knew that Eddie Murphy was, was such a straight edge. You know, I didn't know that he didn't drink, didn't do any drugs, anything like that. Um, didn't even have coffee. He wouldn't take caffeine, would he? I, I knew he was straight I, edge. No, I didn't realise he was at the time. I assumed, <laughs> you know, he'd lived the 80s and that's mm-hmm. what made him straight edge. <laughs> No, no, apparently all through. I mean, that was that was his big beef with um, Saturday Night Live was that he didn't approve of a lot of the, the kind of drug culture at the time. Yeah. Um, which is why he wouldn't go to the reunions and stuff. You know, he fell out with a lot of people. But yeah, and he had a, and apparently he was, he was knackered in this strip club. So he had a little bit of a little sip of coffee and it, he just went fucking mad. Apparently he went super hyper and then he did the, the super cops thing. And it was just, he was just, he was wired, wasn't he? When you watch it, he is he's fucking like, I love the way he confronts it. the guy in the strip club. Oh yeah, he plays yeah. drunk amazingly. Yeah, like you know, a guy playing drunk. And again, <laughs> and that's a Richard Pryor thing. When you watch or listen to Richard Pryor um, kind of audio or video from his stand-up stuff, he did a great drunk, and it's yeah. exactly the same drunk. You know, he used to do exactly the same drunk thing because um, he had a bit of experience, Richard Pryor. Yeah, and just a little and bit. I don't think Eddie Murphy being straight edge you couldn't play a drunk that well unless you'd studied someone doing it that well or you'd been drunk yourself and yeah. he'd obviously never been drunk so it is just a straight lift from Richard Pryor and it's it's really 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 good um 
well, they basically foil a robbery in the strip club and, you know, then they're in the shit again. And then he gets tailed by another new couple, doesn't he? Um, the A-team were the A-team, the B-team. And then he, he they last about 10 minutes, don't they? Because he, yeah. he fucks them over. Um, and it's just, it's just completely, I was amazed at how quickly the movie kind of moves along, you know, at a pace. It really does. Um, yeah, it sort of shows you all the pieces, doesn't it? And then it gets going. You get that great second confrontation with Stephen Burkoff in the at the buffet. Yeah. In the private members club. Yeah. Um, which is great. <laughs> um, yeah. That's probably my favourite confrontation between the two of them. They're both really good in that. Like I said, it's Stephen yeah, Burkoff, is... I'm pretty sure, could do that shit in his sleep. but. <laughs> yeah. And it is really sinister as well. You know, you do kind of think to yourself, he's, you know, he's in deep shit here. Yeah. When he, he goes out of here and, um, you know, they escort him out. And again, luckily, the cops are there waiting. Otherwise, he'd have probably been off straight away, wouldn't he? But yeah. What do you want? I want to talk to you. Last time we met, I get a chance to talk to you. I have nothing to say to you. That's cool. I'll do all the talking. This is a very nice place, Vic. Hi. I like this. This is nice. Glad you like it. It must make you a member. You know, Victor, I know that you're into a lot of crooked shit. And I have a pretty good idea that you had Mikey killed. And when I find out for sure, I'm gonna fuck you up real bad. Is that so? Now listen to me, my tough little friend. I don't know from under what stone you crawl. Or where you get these ridiculous ideas about me. But it seems painfully obvious you haven't the slightest fucking idea who you're dealing with. Now, my advice to you is crawl back to your little stone in Detroit before you get squashed. Okay? Please step away from the table, sir. Gotta go now, Vic. Nice meeting you again. Yeah. Catch you later, Vic. I can't wait. Um, and then he's to be escorted from Beverly Hills, never to return. And all Rosewood, poor Billy Rosewood, has to do. Who is who is the kind of buffoon of the the couple? You know, he's he's the he's the younger kind of less experienced cop. And how many times did he say, "You just stay here, Billy." You know, we're going to do go and do some cop stuff. Basically. He's the Jimmy Olsen, isn't he? Yeah, you you sit you sit in the car. You know, like fucking hell. You know, he's got a badge in a gun, and um, and of course Axel convinces him not to just drive him to the airport, to take him back to the warehouse, uh, Maitland's warehouse and stuff. And then we get into the kind of final act, then, don't we? Yeah, you know, in the warehouse we get the old uh, tasting the cocaine on your finger cliche. Uh, well, which I remember a police officer coming to our school <laughs> and somebody out specifically asking that I'm just like no you'd still be off your tits <laughs> I mean obviously you didn't say that exactly <laughs> brilliant wasn't it you imagine that though imagine. that would have been a great ending to the film wouldn't it well, like he's tasted the thing, cocaine and he's <laughs> that's another thing that winds us up when you're watching I mean, I, not just in a post-covid world but in a kind of you know just be fucking hygienic world when you see how many programs you see where people see a suspicious stain or something and they'll touch it <laughs> and you're like, don't touch it. And then it's like, I love a little taste of it. And you're like, 
Yep. Bird shit. You know. And it's like, why are you licking something you've just found in a suspicious That was the area? whole joke throughout Due South, wasn't it? Where he'd like lick something that was on the floor to test it. Taste it. <laughs> Vecchio would be like, oh. Wow. And they still do it now. And I th- I'm sure now they do it just as a joke. Like, you know, they put it in there just because they know people are going to go, oh, God, don't, don't lick it. Don't, don't, don't even touch it. Don't stick your finger in it. And it. Stick it. your finger in it and sniff it. Yeah. Oh, it's all them particles all right. you're inhaling. Dirty <laughs> um, But yeah, we, we kind of, we, 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 they get rumbled in the warehouse, don't they? Billy's outside. Um, You know, they've managed to, well, they, they don't talk Jenny into going. Jenny refuses to let them go without her. So she takes yeah. them, gets them back into the warehouse. She ends up getting kidnapped. As <clears> of course she does. 80, 80s damsels do. Yeah. Um, and they're about to do the do on, on Axel and finish him off. And who comes to the rescue? Rose Super word. cock Billy, in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's a good lad, isn't he? And, uh, and it's just like... It's that great bit where he sat in the car and he sees them bringing Jenny out. And he's like, oh, shit. You know, it's, like, oh. it's, it's got vibes of Cameron sitting in the car and Ferris Bueller yeah. trying to decide whether to go or not. Yeah. I listened to your episode on that the other day. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was really, really good fun. But um, yeah, it does. He's like, no, 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 ah, fuck it. <laughs> you know, and in he goes, in he goes and saves the day. And then, of course, then they have to go and um, save. Jenny, who I do that way because it's the same house they're using Commando, isn't it? Where it is, and it also gets shot Jenny. up the same as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, like plants, plants are not friends of machine guns. No. And they end up at, at Maitland's mansion, which is wonderful. Um, although I can't work out, I, I cannot work out the geography of his mansion. It makes no, no fucking sense to me. It's like, it's like an Escher drawing, isn't it? It's like you, you go upstairs and end up in the basement and <laughs> it's just bizarre. But it, even that has got some brilliant moments where the, the three of them are trying to break in and Eddie Murphy just goes around the back, you know. And then you've got kind of that wonderful bit where Taggart and, and Rosewood are trying to climb over the wall. And but I like that Rose was like, why don't we just go around? He's like, no, no, you lift me over. And then Rosewood yeah. just goes around and goes and through he, the gate. And he has him on his shoulders <laughs> and they fall over and then he can't get anyone. And he ends up trying to shove him up his ass. And it's just, and it's just a great, you know, all the time you're thinking, hurry up, just get the fucking, <laughs> just get in there. And they're like, you know, and, it, and it's, it's just a ridiculous scene. But I bet they had such a laugh doing it. You could tell that they were just fucking around. And There's- it was so it's just so fun um, there's some great moments for those two in those bit rosewood's whole i hate machine guns thing and then the yeah. whole thing where he stands up and he does the uh police are under arrest then they fire the guns at him. <laughs> yeah. like, do that again i'll shoot you myself oh it's just it's just great and of course and then when all the police turn up he gets to do it again and it works and you get that yeah. he's got a big shit eating grin on his face of like you know yeah it worked <laughs> yeah but it's that bit where uh, Taggart, like when they decide they're gonna have to go in and save jenny um, Jenny. Um, he goes to his boot and gets that shotgun, a couple of shotguns, and it's like, you can never have the shotgun in your boot for. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, and then then the minute they get in the grounds and the machine guns start, don't they? And there's all this kind of running around. There's the machine gun in the shit out the the lawn and out the walls. The fucking house is shot to shit. You know, you've got kind of like the, the you know you got Axel. Um, Sort of Rosewood and Taggart trying to dodge machine guns whilst they're picking people off with single 
That's it. Which, you know what I mean? It's, 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 perfect. Shit, but... it's, it's perfect 80s action nonsense, isn't it? I love that Bully's point of reference of that is like, you remember the end of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yeah. It's like, this is not the time for me. I love, um, again, Taggart's thing of like, Billy, if we survive this, I'm going to kill you myself. <laughs> or yeah. no, Billy, I'm going to make you pay for this, isn't it? <laughs> And there's so many kind of action cliches in it that you get where, you know, if you're faced with a guy with a machine gun, one thing I learned in the 80s is that if you're faced with a guy with a machine gun, don't worry because he'll miss you if you do a forward roll and then stand up straight to make yourself as big as possible and then shoot them, Um, which Axel Foley does, you know, brilliantly. But uh, it's just, it's just, a great shootout and it's just it's just the way that they shoot the shit out of everything it has the three of them jumping over a low wall together and all those great scenes you know and the bullets riding along the walls and the plant pots going and you're thinking fucking hell it's gonna take some plaster in that you know what i mean but it's just a good job he dies because the insurance claim on that's gonna be a nightmare isn't it well i was thinking that i was thinking it ain't gonna be happening and even when they get in the house when axel's in the house you know, and you've got um, <clears throat> Zach, and Zach's just shooting the shit out of everything yeah. in the house, and you're like, fucking hell, mate, I'm not being funny, like, but your boss ain't, you know, he's got to keep his kimonos up here, <laughs> you know, you, you can't be just paying for a complete new decor and stuff, but they just shoot the shit out of everything, don't they? And, and I like as well that it's not a bullshit, you know, him and Mike from ba- Breaking Bad <laughs> chuck their guns down and have a knife fight or whatever. No. Like you'd get in any, well, I mean, Commando ends with a knife fight. Cobra, same sort of thing. Yeah. It's like you know, it's not enough to just have him shoot him. No, we got to have a macho man on man, fisticuffs bullshit. Which again is a great, you know, it's why Eddie Murphy was perfect for it. Yeah. Because at no point does he, I don't think at any point does he actually have a fist fight with anyone. If I remember rightly. No, um, I think the guy in the strip club. <clears throat> yeah. is not a fist fight. Fist fight. It's just a. Yeah. He disarms him, doesn't he? But he doesn't play that, as you say, that kind of macho, you know, I'm going to come in and, and chop socky my way through 50 people. You know, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a gun and I'm going to fucking shoot you, you know, because I'm a cop and I can. He looks like your everyman kind of cop, doesn't he? A bit yeah. like what Harrison Ford is so great at. He watched like Harrison Ford and you go like, yeah, I could, you know, with the right training, I could be that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But if you look at a Stallone or a. Schwarzenegger or Jean-Claude Van Damme, you're like, I just haven't got the time or energy to put yeah, it I'm in not, that. I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that, am I? You know what I mean? But the, the, again, the, the thing I really like about the character is that it is, as you say, it's a very everyman character. Axel Foley is a very believable character in the sense that, um, he, you know, his answer to most things is to talk his way out of a situation, which we all know people can do that. Um, he's not particularly, you know, he's not like a Bond kind of, lothario type guy that he's got women you know hanging off in fact there's there's no mention really of any kind of personal life with him there's nothing you know he lives on his own he's got his shitty chevrolet he obviously doesn't get a great deal of money as a cop in detroit he's always skint we know he can't afford the electricity to keep his fridge door open yep there's a lot yeah there's a lot of ambiguity about him as a person you know which is again why i think that scene where him and him and Mikey say, I love you. I think that's why they were a bit worried about that. Because actually, when you watch, if you watch it and you wanted to watch and go, oh, do you think Axel Foley might actually be gay? And you could watch and go, actually, he probably possibly could be. Because well, that's the other thing where I wonder whether they try to force in a sexual relationship between him and Jenny just to be kind of like, you know, just to clear any doubt. Yeah. You can have the I love you 
thing between the two guys, but he's got to fuck a chick so that people don't come out and yeah. be like, is, and he doesn't. He and I love that he doesn't, and he doesn't do the macho thing. You know, he goes to a titty bar, but you know, at the end of the day, he's like a child in there when you watch him, and he's doing that little. little That's very to... much done to make Taggart and Rosewood uncomfortable as well, though, isn't it? Of it's nothing it is. to do with him wanting to see. Ab- absolutely. Within you know, the context of the story, within the context of the film, they just wanted to get some boobs in. Because <laughs> yeah, I agree. You've got to have, haven't you? Um, but he's got more. He's, he's alert more to those two and to what's going on around him than to actually any of the dancers. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a great foil, isn't it? But you could watch it and actually go, he could very well be, you know, a gay leading character. Um, not that it matters either way. Don't get me wrong. No. Doesn't fucking matter, does it? But it's great, and I really, really found it quite refreshing how they didn't have to overly man him, or you know, or not. You know, it wasn't like well, we've got to make sure that everybody knows he's a he's a you know a, he's a sex machine and you know and all this crap. Well, sex is not even it. any hint of it because like no. with Commando, there's no sexual relationship between Schwarzenegger and character's name's gone from my head now. I apologise. Um, but there's no sexual relationship with them, but it's heavily implied at the end that they're all going to fly off together and be a little family unit kind of yeah. thing. This, yeah. There's no indication at all that there's sexual tension between him and no. Jenny. They're just two friends yeah. who grew up together. I mean, it's very much he's the ordinary man in an extraordinary situation that sort of was perfected with the Die Hard, yeah. you know, the first couple of Die Hard yeah. films. Yeah. Um, Actually, you're right, yeah, because you think about it, that's, that's the only other film that really, there, there isn't anything other than just action and no, a bit of comedy. That's it. Um, but, um, but it is refreshing. It is a really refreshing take, and it's a shame that more films didn't do that. Um, you know, they didn't have the bravery to say, you know, we don't need to have the main lead getting his knob out every ten minutes or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's like you just don't, you don't need it. You don't need to know about people's private lives, do you? You don't need to know these things. You, well, no, and it it wouldn't have furthered the film in any way. No, no. It would, if anything, it would have slowed it right down. Mm. Yeah, like, I'm here to yeah. avenge Mikey's death, but I've got time to, you know, take care of some other business. Yeah, but again, the, it's, the old '80s blue light comes out. <laughs> yeah, well, but when you watch though Eddie Murphy and and again just going back to the stand-up stuff he did, which he was quite raunchy and quite fun and stuff. But again, it wasn't it wasn't all kind of um, misogynistic kind of stuff. You know, there was there was there was comedy about all sorts of things. And I think that might just have been the way he was. I think he was a very much a kind of a very private person and just a a guy that, that you know, basically just got on with things and yeah. didn't feel the need to have that kind of bravado about stuff, you know. Um, and it's, it just works so well for the character, works so well. And the final shootout is great. You know, it's, yeah. it's a great scene. There's, there's lots of machine guns and, as we've said, destruction and, uh, property damage that you know you just think okay you, know, you, you you're not going to renew your policy anywhere anytime soon are you um and then of course the great standoff between you know him and uh maitland where he's got yeah. jenny and and you know that great line again that burkhoff delivers which is he's, he's pointing a gun at, at uh maitland who's got jenny and the gun he's going now be careful you know you might shoot me you know that great thing <laughs> And it's just, it's just, it's just great, isn't it? And um, and of course, you know that that other great bit where, uh, as we mentioned before, you know, Ronnie Cox comes in, doesn't he? Um, and kind of backs him up, and and boom, 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 you know, it's all over. But it's just, 
I don't know. It's very satisfying, like you say, that they don't end up putting down the guns and having a, yeah. a kung fu fight or anything yeah. ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? I, I do think that Maitland, he, he didn't think it through with getting killed. He'd have been much better surrendering, getting a decent lawyer who could have pinned it all on Mike from Baking Bad. You're absolutely right. Because, yeah. you know, he, you see? He's, he's a rich white guy in Beverly Hills. He could get away with it. <laughs> yeah. All you've got to do is turn up at the courthouse in your kimono. And no did mess with you, would they? They'd be like, oh, no. Just be like, look, I, I ran the business, but I had no idea what these fuckers were doing yeah. under my nose. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm sure there was there was some other characters in there he could have pinned it on. He um, probably saw the damage to his nose and was just like, fuck it, I'd rather die. <laughs> can't be doing with that. It's going to cost an arm and a leg, isn't it? Um, but it is, it is a really good kind of... It's just a, it's just a nice, neat ending, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it isn't, it isn't long and drawn out. It's I think it's perfectly well-timed. Like you say, then you've got the great Rosewood moment where he does his stand-up bit and tells him to lay the guns down and take two steps back. And they all do. And he's like, whoa. You know, and even Taggart's it's just like, the oh, well, well, yeah. Yeah, they were that yeah. time. Yeah, you did good there. Um, and then, and like then you say, you great Bonnie Cox thing where he tells him what his report is. He just starts lying as well. The oh, effect yeah. only has on all of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's that bit about could you ring, you know, my boss back in Detroit and just, you know, maybe clear the yeah, ask a favor, like, I think you've used all your favours up. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love the bit because, well, actually, that's OK, then I might as well just stay in. I might open a detective <laughs> agency and he's like, I'll give me a ring in the morning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's just like, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just that, that's what you're doing it you'd be like oh jesus no just imagine that I just want you the fuck out of town yeah and 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 again you know there's the that little bit where they take you back to the hotel and and he's checking out and he's he's kind of the pay they end up paying for the room the beverly Hills. <laughs> so he puts two robes on room. the tab as well he buys two robes on the tab <laughs> and he tries to palm them off you know, he gives one rose already. Shit after, yeah. And he, he tries to go into tag and he's like, No, I don't want one. He goes, You keep it. He's a momentum. Like, I've already got three of my suitcase. <laughs> you know, and it's just brilliant. It's like absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And um, it's just great. It's just a great film. It's just from start to finish, it's it's got that perfect balance and it is perfectly balanced between action and comedy. And yeah. You know, there are some serious bits in it, some bits that make you a bit uncomfortable. I mean, the bit with um, Maitland kind of menacing around Jenny when he knows that, you know, her and, and Axel Foley are mates and she's trying to pretend that, oh, no, he, you know, he, he just dropped in and didn't tell me anything. And, you know, and I don't know where he's staying and all that. And, you know, he knows he's lying and he kind yeah. of gets into her and, and he's like, oh, oh, God. But there's this real moments of threat in there. Um, but it, it is balanced with some fantastic kind of comedy stuff that that is genuinely, genuinely funny. And even funny when you realise that a lot of it was just ad-libbed as well. Yeah. You know, it shows, I think, the strength of the characters. Um, yeah, because it can go two ways with ad-libbing, can't it? I mean, oh God, yeah. love it or hate it, you've got to admit like, the 2016 Ghostbusters is ad-libbed to fuck and it ruins the film. Well, that's no why it ruins, isn't story. it? Yeah, because everybody's just, they're on their own trajectories, aren't they? And, they don't, it, and characters don't seem to have an arc. So. No. <clears throat> and it's but not I think, consistent I think having either. a director like Martin Brest really helped with that, because obviously he went on and did Midnight Run as well. Did, yeah. It's one of the great. Well, did he do Midnight Run before? I can't remember where Midnight Run came. Anyway, it's he one of the after, great. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think this might have been his second film. Um, 
and Scent of a Woman as well, which is a great film. Um, bit, bit more serious, obviously, but you know, great thriller. Went on and did Geely, but you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just one of those really good films. I'd say to anyone that's not seen it, um, again, yes, there are a few bits where you go like, oh, it's a bit corny, isn't it? But context of when it was made, you yeah. know, 1984. And the, and you've got to remember this was groundbreaking. It genuinely was. Nobody'd seen anything quite like this. You'd seen action films that had a little maybe the odd joke in there. You know, Bond films would have like you know the great one-liners and stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, which used to drive um, H's dad was right miserable shit. And he used to watch a Bond film, then sit and moan about it, going a lot of bloody crap. And something. Don't watch it then, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and, he, and then one-liners, you know, the the toaster in the bathtub and shocking yeah. and all that stuff drive people insane but apart from that it's not like you know bond was an out and out comedy you know it was um you know it was action with a little bit of humor now and then well this is a genuine balance between a comedy and an action film and yeah i do not think and again we've said it and it bears repeating i do not think people realize just how big a star eddie murphy was at that point and they also probably in hindsight when you look at the other field of, of runners and riders, there is nobody that could have made that film and made it as well. You know, it just yeah. works. Well, that's, I mean, that's why I thought this was quite an interesting one to do as well as part of this mm. 80s, 90s action movie thing, because, you know, it falls under two camps. You could call it a comedy. You could call it, I mean, it's an action comedy. But um, it's also interesting as well, because it's one of the few, certainly from the time, examples of an action movie with a African-American lead character lead star which again you know is is just going back to that this is how big eddie murphy was because you know before he, it he all actually sort of smashed that glass ceiling even you know. things like shaft that were massive films but they yeah. were very much in that black exploitation yeah yeah cinema and, movement yeah and i mean you know i'm a i'm a big fan of those those films I always have yeah. been um and but they were and they were they were made for a particular audience as well you know they they weren't made for kind of like mass consumption, as it were. You know, no, they were, they were very, very much a niche market kind yes. of. Yeah. I mean, a we massive audience. James that... Bond, essentially, and, yeah. and you know, and it was to try and fill that void where they were underrepresented. You know, minorities of different sites were underrepresented, but Eddie Murphy in that that kind of few years in the eighties, very much like Richard Pryor as well, who's who's around the same time doing things like Stir Crazy and then Superman Three and all that kind of stuff. They absolutely paved the way in cinema. Oh, yeah. I think the, without this film, you wouldn't have had your bad boys later on. No, your no. Wesley no Snipes movies, all that. No. Sort of, and that's not to take anything away from any of those other people. But this no. definitely this was the film, I think, that I mean, with two white guys sitting here talking about it. But it's true. But, it, but it's two white guys, though, Stuart, who hold no prejudice. You can no, look exactly. at it objectively. You can you can say there were lots of great actors of different ethnicities that weren't as big as they should have been or weren't given the roles they should have had so it's sure because you of, think how long cinema has been around that it took to yeah. the 1980s to get a big yeah tentpole movie kind of thing because i mean it was a tentpole movie at the time yeah. it wasn't a your big, wasn't it the biggest second biggest grossing movie of the year behind Tempo yeah well like i say it was 13 yeah. million and it took 360 and odd million isn't it the most as well it's got two records on it it's the most rented betamax video ever which we had a Betamax. I we forgot to mention that when I, um, 
I discovered okay. pornography because of Betamax, but that's a different story. <laughs> you think you said Betamax? Yeah. Um, no, my, well, yeah. my, so my stepdad had taped Superman 2 for us off the telly, but he just put it in with all his other Betamax. So when nice. they went out, we used to watch Superman 2, but oh, we I... didn't know what tape it was. So yeah. we just discovered a pornography on them. But the trouble yeah. with the Betamax is you have to hold your finger down on the rewind for about a good two hours for it to go yeah. back ten minutes. Like you knelt before Zod that day, didn't you? <laughs> um, but, oh, I did. <laughs> but yes, I didn't even watch Superman rented, 2 that day. It's the most rented Betamax <laughs> ever. And apparently it's the highest grossing R-rated movie after yeah. The Exorcist and Godfather. Still. So, you know, that's pretty good going. But yeah. you're right. It was ridiculous it took that long. But again, you've got to look at it in a, in a cultural sense and think, thank fuck he did it. Thank yeah. fuck he had the, you know, it, it panned out. That as much as I, I have, you know, I, I'd like Sylvester Stallone. I think he's done some great stuff. I mean, I'm a huge Rocky fan and stuff like that. Um, it's not some shit as well, but it's the, great. The trouble with a lot see. of Sylvester Stallone stuff is, I think, because he had Oscar nods quite too early on, he took that approach to all his action movies. And a little, sometimes you're watching it, you're like, he don't sort of Demolition Man. He's having fun, but there's ones in yeah. the 80s where it's kind of like, just just loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Like and then the more fact Tango and Cash, Sylvester he, Stallone, not. <laughs> yeah, and he had that kind of, you know, um, Jenny had to be his love interest. In, and and it's like no, it doesn't 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 need it, and it proves it doesn't need it. But thank fuck Eddie Murphy and and Richard Pryor and people like that actually did manage to break through yeah. and, and open up doors for people. Because you know, as we've seen, we can so quickly go back to fucking like a world of ridiculousness, and we are and we are, aren't we? I mean, you, look yeah, at, you look at the state at the moment, and Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? It's just I think I've slept in a time machine or something, but thankfully they did. And it, like you say, you would not have had a lot of the big stuff that came in, in the later 80s and, and early 90s and through and through to today. You know, you just wouldn't. And people might not like to admit it. They might not want to give Eddie Murphy those kinds of credits and things. Um, but he was a huge, huge influence on, on Hollywood. And yeah. he, he, he he was groundbreaking, you know. Um, well, like I say, just, I mean, because this is very yeah. early in his career as well. This is pre yeah. coming to America, isn't it? Coming to yeah. America was '86, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, after trading places, after 48 hours. So, but to be in that position where you can be a producer on the film, have a film built pretty much built around you. Yeah. Um, on your third film, that's a massive thing. Yeah, it, it sort of it tells is. you how much of a superstar he was. Like I say, I know it went off the rails a couple of times in his career. He seems to be coming back again with things like uh, Dolomite is my name and that. Mm. So people are realizing that Eddie Murphy is a next star. I mean, the Coming to America sequel was a bit hit and miss for me, but, but. I, it's a thing though, isn't it? That and it's always the way, isn't it? People love to they love to build people, they love to tear them down again. Yeah. Um, I think it must even be probably more more difficult and in some ways you're more of a target if you aren't like a straight white guy yeah. in a lead role you know you've you've already got stuff people want to fundamentally hate you for regardless of how good or bad you might be at your job so it's incredibly difficult and it must get tiresome and i mean and let's be honest he has done some shit as well in his oh yeah later career. i mean even he admits that you know i think he retired for a while i think he was sick of getting razzies and stuff but he's done some crap and 
it's it's amazing that you know if you sort of showed somebody if you stuck like delirious in a video or a or video christ listen to me you know you stuck delirious on and you said to someone who'd never with no consciousness of eddie murphy prior to the disney stuff and went watch this firstly they'd be absolutely appalled because it is it is you know it is of its time oh there's but, very much some stuff in it that has not aged well at all but, but it is terribly funny as well in a in a wrong way still yeah. you know there is some stuff in there that you know you really know you should not allow yourself to to find amusing but you i would defy a lot of people to not inside find it you know you wouldn't want to admit some of it but you would you would go that that is actually a funny observation and then it was all based on observational yeah. comedy you know it wasn't like he was he was attacking other other so he wasn't doing a chubby brown for example you know um but he just he's just such a strange person eddie murphy in so much as he was such a he had his career took such a swerve to family friendly comedy which i don't actually think a lot of it suited him and i think that's the problem and saying that though the thought of him or the thought of anyone doing beverly hills cop 4 fills me with absolute dread because yeah, i just well, think so you know. on that let's let's touch because obviously the film was followed by two sequels and a shelved 2013 tv pilot that would have Thankfully. seen brandon yeah. t jackson playing his son which eddie murphy again was involved in mm. um so what are your feelings on the sequels i quite like the second one i don't remember a lot i've never seen it i've seen it a couple of times i've not watched it and i didn't watch it. i should have watched it before we did this show actually see i um, i thought about that but yeah. i didn't want to i just wanted to come into this yeah. film because i mean it's very much about this film but the second I mean, one has the second more one's pretty much the first one again isn't it it's... yeah and I've, I've talked about this before where there's that connective tissue between the two things where you know you get throwbacks and you get a lot of things that you go oh god yeah i remember that from the first one and you know so it, it's enjoyable in that sense it's not as good as um the first one obviously no. it is a bit of a retread um but it's still got taggart and it's still got rosewood and a lot of the others in there so it's ronnie cox is back surge is back surge is in yep. all of them i think yeah, Serge is, is great, isn't he? but he's just too good to not be in them, to be honest. But the third one I remember very little about because I think I just I've only ever seen it once. And the main thing that like sticks it. in my head is the George Lucas cameo. Yeah. Um, Which is weird because he'd fallen out with John Landis, but then that's the guy he brought in to do Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's, it's a weird world, though, isn't it? Um, I mean, the problem with the third one is it feels like a load of people doing it to make some quick money. Yeah, and I think it was, wasn't it? I mean, the second one, apparently, um, when they actually screened Beverly Hills Cop to like some high-ranking executives, within about five minutes of the, the private screening, they'd already agreed they were doing a sequel. Because they it just took enjoyed a while, it didn't it? Much. It was like 88, yeah. I think, wasn't it, the sequel? Yeah, is... but when you look, at, you look at Eddie Murphy's slate then that he already had, he was, he was working solidly for the next several years so i think this might have been post golden child mightn't it so he possibly because mm. i think he took a hit on that one because obviously it wasn't a box office smash yeah that they yeah. all thought it was going to be so i imagine beverly hills cop 2 was the safe option yeah but, but again um, to know, be fair the golden child's not a bad film but ain't no big trouble in little china, it's not big is trouble it? in little china is which it, again no? is another great action comedy which it would not have happened without beverly hills cop ironically because it showed that you could do it they live is another great action comedy yeah that I adore that again, you know, you trace a line back and go without something like that, those cops showing that it could work. People would not have put the money in and done it. You know, Carpenter yeah. like did a few of those great 
things that that rode on the back of this to a degree as far as you know proving that it could be a success and then he made a success with, with some of those other ones and then they are I mean I, I love both those films anyway um but yeah I mean you look at him he was working as I say he was like solidly working. and he was touring he did another tour um you know because he did the raw tour yeah. went back to stand up in 87 because Delirious was such a massive hit and then of course the more the movies became popular the more that you know the Delirious got re-released and became popular again and then he, he was back on tour because people wanted to see him and you know so he was working I think pretty solidly until he, he say he got that bit of a break after the golden child went through. and I think that was just that natural cycle where I think people just got a bit sick of seeing him you know because he did get a bit like shit it, it for a while Eddie but, Murphy you, being Eddie Murphy wasn't it it's yeah and I arguably think just, the furthest he's straight away from Eddie Murphy was coming to America which was just Eddie Murphy with an African accent yeah it was possibly the first time you saw a different eddie murphy sort of character because he's a much sweeter character in coming to america than trading places 48 yeah. hours yeah yeah and then Absolutely. and yeah like i say beverly was cop three but that was 94 i want to say possibly something like that it was yeah again it was a big, that. again it sort of felt a little bit like i've had a couple of flops let's go back to beverly Hills cop um but then again, I've not seen it for a long time, so it'd be interesting. Not, it might not be as bad as I remember it being. Yeah, because I have done that where I thought, oh, God, that that film was dreadful. And I've watched it again, and I can't remember. I can't think of an example, mate. You never can, can you? And I was sad, you know, it's not that bad, really. I think sometimes, because I think when I watched it, I watched one, two, and three in close. I was doing the mm. trilogy binge on DVD, and um, that doesn't help. I think no, it doesn't. two sort of suffers if you watch it straight after watching Beverly Hills Cop as well. Mm. this is just a weaker copy of what i've just watched kind of thing yeah yeah i mean you've got the other problem as well i mean they get away with it in two with the reason why he goes back to beverly hills because it's the lieutenant there isn't it gets shot yeah yeah by, uh, bridget nielsen spoilers and um yeah that's why he goes back that time yeah but i don't think taggart's in the third one either which is no he isn't no because um i think he'd retire I don't think Roddy Cox is either i think i'm not sure i, I can't Rosewood's remember i know the lieutenant by that point yeah but um yeah again it's the issue with sequels in it i mean you know well, this is, yeah i mean because they're either better than the original or they're not the, <laughs> you know they're never one. the same you never go like oh well star wars and empire are equally as good you go no you go star wars is a fucking great film but empire strikes back is the don of of that the, that the thing with star wars is that it's you know they're part of a whole mm. whereas a beverly hills cop 2 isn't You've got to create a story that, kind of thing. Yeah, what's the MacGuffin this time? You can't do, you know, Barabons again, as they would yes. say. So what are we going to do this time? Isn't you know, and um, I just, I just don't hope that four isn't about cryptocurrencies and shit like that. You know what I mean? Well, that's it, because the TV series <laughs> failed, which is weird, given that everybody that was involved, because it even had Barry Sonnenfeld as the director, right? Who's not? You know, I know Men in Black three wasn't. <clears throat> particularly when Wild Wild West wasn't big hits for him, but yeah. you had the first two Men in Blacks, Get Shorty, Adam's Family, all Barry Sonnenfeld films. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he was a slouch in the directing department. But yeah, it just didn't get picked up. Whether people just weren't, didn't want a Axel Foley's mm. son kind of movie. Because this would be the problem with the fourth one, is it'd have to be a legacy sequel, which, like we talked about before with Ghostbusters Afterlife, it can work sometimes. Mm-hmm. But other than this, like after this much time, I know, and and it's that kind of thing about 
given the, the and again the reason I, I didn't like the whole idea of his son you know was as we spoke about before the ambiguity of the character in the first one yeah is the strength of the character and you've then got to build this whole you know so he gets married he has kids or a kid at least and you know he happens to be and it's just all a bit contrived in it and it, it's almost like it is it's, it's too you know it's too um neat in a way for somebody who lives he's had the same shitty car for like 20 odd years he can't afford to leave his fridge door open he's got no money and all of a sudden you know What's his it? life's his son like, would have had to have been alive, certainly through Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3. Yeah. So you get the problem that you had with the last Shaft film, where you take Shaft and you basically turn him into a deadbeat dad. Yeah. It's like, that's not that character. No, no, it isn't. No. Um, and I mean, there was a really good piece on that last Shaft film about, you know, it basically plays into the stereotype of a certain kind of black man is just a does. deadbeat dad. Yeah. And it's, it's arguably worse than what people level at the original black exploitation yeah. film. You know, because at least they were casting characters in a heroic and all villainous light. But, you know, there was that that balance, whereas yeah. this was almost just kind of. Again, like you say, it was reinforcing some ridiculous stereotype yeah. about people in society. And and it just didn't it just didn't fit. It wasn't that wasn't the character. And noise no, exactly. pissed around me, things like that. You know, it just it's like you you don't understand the character, obviously. Therefore, step away from it because you really don't understand what you're playing with it. And, you know, you shouldn't be allowed, therefore, to impose your your own view of what would make a great drama um, because you're missing the point massively. You know, Um, yeah, I just I just think leave it. You know, it's at its run. and, it, and it's about there's lots of these like, things. Like I, mean, I, said, I think you were pushing it with the second one story wise anyway, for reasons to get him back to Beverly Hills. Mm. By the third one, it was just so contrived. So well, he might as well was, move there, aren't he? That's it. like, I mean, that would be the only way you could do a fourth film is he has become a private detective working in Beverly Hills. But that's, that's not Axel Foley. He's a Detroit guy. No. It's, no. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the same gut instinct you get with a lot of talk about sequels, don't you? you know, and they talk about, you know, remaking uh, Big Trouble in Little China, or yeah. you know, or, or rebooting it, or doing a sequel, and you think as much as you know, I know again, I, I listened to your podcast, that which is great, you know, because I love that film, and and you know, I know he, people saying, well, if you based it on the comic book, but you, it's too late to do that now in reality. But yeah. you kind of think, just leave it. You know, sometimes some things are perfect as they are. That's it. There's no shame in saying them. we nailed that the first time. Yeah. We don't it, need to go back to it. No. But you know, I'm sure. I'm sure we will see a Beverly Hills Cop 4. I, mean, I think it's slated for next year or something at the moment. It's yeah, still, they keep pushing it. I mean, you know, I don't know how much of it was riding on how well coming to America, the scene has in coming to the number America. Yeah, I know. How well that I did. I haven't watched it. I, don't, I never it's, watched it. So. It's fine. But again, it's just so much time has passed that it just mm. feels like an afterthought rather <clears> than a... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and again, it just feels a little bit contrived. Like I say, it's fine, and there are people who really do like it, and you know, I'm more than happy for those people who've mm. got a genuine kick out of it. I just, again, the first one of that was such a unique story, and it was such a sweet story that you know, you don't really. <laughs> there's always that thing in the back of your mind. It's like when they did the Star Wars sequels, and they're like, such and such characters coming back for this one. You're like, oh, oh no, they're probably going to kill them though, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> 
and it's like you don't want to go through seeing where they went and find out they were assholes or no no this is part of the problem with legacy sequels is that you've had like 30 to 40 years of in your mind doing your own fan fiction of where life went after that if you even bothered to think about them after the film yeah yeah i mean that was was a big thing with with, you know the the last um star wars stuff wasn't where you know they were talking about you know they they turned luke skywalker into like this kind of grumpy hermit and you know and there's one side of you that goes yeah i could see that actually and there's another side of you that thinks oh really you know and i don't know i mean i i as i said before you know i don't give a fuck what people think about film if i enjoy it i enjoy it and i enjoyed the star wars things for what they were and, yeah and, again you know, i'm more than happy for me it just those just, films it felt like it undid everything i'd invested in the original trilogy yeah nobody's grown as characters that's that's the danger that you you know you end up losing um some of the initial impact that those characters yeah. had by going back to the well too many times as they would say in wrestling speak you know it's like you know you can kind of just you can overplay something and then you can tweak a character and what you don't what they don't realize when they're making adjustments for character is that the the retrospective knock-on effect that has yeah so you will view the character differently early on so it's a fine line it's between growing a character and pissing in the pool (laughs) yeah yeah or doing something just because you want to shoehorn a particular storyline yeah um but yeah leave it alone um if you've never seen beverly hills cop then you really should because it it, it is an absolute classic i mean it's, it's often spoken about as one of the greatest like comedy action films of all time isn't it i think it's and it's always in like these 100 films you must see kind yeah. of lists and things like that well, and it's there for a um, reason it's one of those ones that always seems to be on Sky as well. So if you've got Sky, you can easily pick up. I mean, you can pick up the Blu-ray and DVDs dirt cheap now. Yeah. As you can with most old films on DVD and Blu-ray. I'm sure it'll pop up on streaming again at some point. I'm sure, once yeah. we get Paramount Plus over here, it'll be on that. But it's yeah, yeah it's definitely worth watching. It's, if nothing else, just for a time cap piece of that time on film kind of thing. That, yeah. Those grotty opening shots of Detroit that are all... Oh. Brilliant. They look really gross, you, but at the same time, really kind of, I don't know. Sentimental. Yeah. I, I get very nostalgic for all that stuff because I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, you know, it's like, you know, you watch old things with, like old New York and stuff. Like say, you know, things like um, Saturday Night Fever and that, you think, you know, all the warriors and you think, like, Jesus, you know, I wouldn't fancy it. But Bruce then part of me as, as well. a kid, I was thinking, I would give me bloody left arm to go there. You know, and people, maybe you get shot, and I don't care. I just want to go. You know, and you know when you do go, and it's it's different, obviously now it's it's a bit more kind of um, less dangerous than it used to be in a lot of places, for now anyway. Um, But you know, it it still had that thrill when you watch it. I still get that buzz about. Oh, I can remember as a kid thinking I would I would love to go to like New York or somewhere like that, and and you know when you do it. If you're lucky enough to do it, it's it's incredible, you know. It's these things that 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 just come back and watching a film stirs that emotion. But it is, and and you know, if you do watch it, you will enjoy it, unless you really hate Eddie Murphy, which case don't watch it. Um, if, and you if you hate you Eddie Murphy, smile, you're one of those people who deliberately looks back at films yes. like that just to pick shit out that's no longer PC or. Yeah, and if you don't smile when he's doing the five thousand dollars, watch my lips five thousand. <laughs> if you don't smile at that. 
then you're dead in the thing that makes that is you've got that and you've got the slow thing in the background of the police car spot yeah and driving past maneuvering and, and then coming yeah. back <laughs> yeah and it's just and it's like as soon as you see it, the, the siren goes and he's kind of like oh and just you know. even before the film starts just that old school 80s paramount yeah. logo Mm. Which, you know, Footloose is one of my favourite films, starts with that same Paramount logo. I love that Paramount logo. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong, the stars flying in that we get, you know, circling the mountain, that's all very cool. But just that blue, blue and white Paramount logo, yeah. it's just like, I'm in safe hands. You know, you know it's going to be a pretty good night, don't you? That's it. But awesome, Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> and you will, you will laugh at Eddie Murphy's laugh, I guarantee you. Oh, and you will, you will laugh at lovely Jenny's impersonation of Eddie Murphy's laugh as well, which is which is great. It's just a, it's just a good film, just a good film. We've done two films now that have got iconic laughs in it. You got Jack Nicholson's laugh as the Joker, and you've got yeah. Eddie Murphy's laugh. It's just what we're going to do yeah. next. I don't know. I can't think of any. We stick it with the bees, Blues Brothers. Ah, <laughs> oh, Blues Brothers as well, another great one. But yeah, there's so many good, um, there's so many good films of that era. And they're all very tightly packed as well. When you look, they're all within like, you know, there's probably like a five, six year period where some, some, when you look at the rundown of what was in the top 10 of those films, we talked about this with Batman, didn't we? We, you look at the films that came out that year and you look at the films that came out in 84 and you're like, God, oh, you know, okay, you know, it's just spoiled for choice. You know, I can remember going to the cinema and being with a, a mate of mine and we were like, right, now we can either go see Rocky 3. Or we could go see Raiders of the Lost Ark again. You know, I mean, we went to see Raiders again because we loved it that much. And then we went back and watched Rocky Three. But you just think, you used to have such a great lineup of films. And now I go, I drive past the cinema in, in Wigan and you look and you're kind of like, yeah, there's nothing I fancy there. They've got like 18 screens and I'd rather put firecrackers under my eyelids, I think. Well, this was the I mean? perfect length as well because now this would be a two and a half hour film. Oh, at least. And it's yeah. not. It's, this comes in nicely between hour and a half and two hours it's yeah got that nice performance like i say it's got an amazing soundtrack that keeps you going as well um yeah i just yeah 84 and 86 were two great years for films but i i highly recommend checking this one out i really pleased it was you know you chose this one to talk about as well because like I, I think it is an interesting part of both <laughs> cinema and the 80s action movies yeah and and culturally as well it's a very important piece it sounds daft but as we've talked about it, culturally for for actors of color particularly it was incredible well, we're all colored don't we like captain Beefheart said everybody's colored otherwise well, you wouldn't see anyone yeah. but you know actors of, of different of non-white um ethnicities it was an incredibly important film yeah. and it really did pave the way and bear that in mind when you watch it as well just bear yeah. that in mind about how brave it was for people to actually you know um make the film and actually some of the decisions they made like you say not making a love interest for the sake of it not making you know turning him into a macho stud for the sake all of that is what makes the film really really just for a serious film as well just a really really delightful hour and a half isn't it you know yeah. you, just, you just it's just a perfect it's one of those films we said it last time about batman but it's one of those perfect saturday night films this that you can sit down with, with your, your other half or whatever it freezes by from one it. set piece to the other as well and it's, yeah. and i say that in a good way not in a you know yep. oh, it's just a load of set pieces strung together it's not it's they're all, all nice killer no filler in it yeah 
it all yeah, breezes right. along nicely and like i say it's got an awesome soundtrack to keep you going in the bits where you're just kind of like let's get back to the funny um Absolutely. and it doesn't dwell on the bad guys as well they're only sort of around when eddie murphy's around pretty much yeah yeah with a couple of exceptions so but yeah no like i say cheers to doing this um i realized when we did batman i forgot to ask so um you got anything people should be looking out for or seeking out i mean i always put the links in the show notes but um working on a couple of bits so working on another two pager for uh the second dui anthology um so again i've teamed up with martin feekins a brilliant martin feekins um who's written a two pages so i'm i've done one page of that and i'm just working on the second page um we've got a couple of projects she's got one project that she did quite a while ago now and we shelved it um unfortunately because of everything that happened kind of personally we just couldn't couldn't actually get it onto kickstarter so we've got a project that, that we're going to go back and review that she's done which is a wonderful piece of work um we just need to tweak that and probably launch that at some point i've also got um unfortunately one of the projects i was working on um fell through um so i was meant to do a five issue wrestling comic we did the first issue but it doesn't look like we're gonna do i'd started to pencil out the second issue but with some changes in in the management and and I think it was that little bit where um, I kind of warned them at the start that you're not going to make a load of money off comics, you know. Yeah. And I, I think because although we had like, I think there was several thousand got sent out in a wrestle crate, um, which is great. Obviously, you know, those people weren't buying it as a standalone product. So that's kind of on hold at the moment. So I'm not sure where that's going to play out. But if it, if it comes back around, it does. Yeah. Um, I have got another project I've been noodling around with for quite a while. I've kind of got about a third of that done. Um, and yeah, other than that, I'm just just kind of obviously job hunting. I'm <laughs> between jobs at the moment, as they say politely. Um, but I'm trying to get some artwork done, doing a few commissions. But you know, I'm and I need to pull my finger out and, and do another GGA um issue i keep getting people asking me about that i mean the, the projects i'm working on that's on the back burner at the moment is a kind of um a gga aligned comic it just kind of spins out in a slightly different more mature direction um, cool. so i might i might finish that yeah that. it's very different to the other two but than that no we're just we're just doing you know we're just trying to get by um You've got that awesome Doctor Loomis work. piece and that Halloween book that's coming out as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've got that Loomis bit. I've got um, that was amazing. The look you got on Donald Pleasant's face. Thank you. It took me. Yeah, you know, that probably took longer on that as a portrait than any I've done before. Yeah. Um, just because I wanted it to be right, and yeah. I just kept working it and working it, and it was never quite right, and I, I just just kept going. And in the end, I kind of got it where i was pleased with it and uh, i was very very thrilled when it got accepted because there was a lot of people put in for the halloween yeah and um that's that's available to order now from printed in blood um i'm still waiting for me comp copy but i'm also going to be in they did one for the hannibal tv show as well um and had a piece accepted for that Um, so that's due out i think in june possibly so i'll be in there as well so keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, yeah, and, and basically I'm just trying to get me work back out there again. You know, I'm yeah. going to resubmit a few things, a few 
companies and see what's what's shaking down. But in the interim, I need to get a real job because I need to pay my bills. Yeah, it's um, troubling it. So, but yeah, just just grafting away, and as I say, really hoping we can get back on the con trail late yeah. this year. Um, not sure yet. We'll we'll see how it goes. You know, after two years, I can if I have to write the money off, I will. To be honest. Um, yeah, it's just getting back out there and getting like the mindset go. of it again. Yeah, but. I'd like to go. And as I say, it is a good it is a good event. Ice, you know, it's kind of um, it's it's one of those with Oldham and and you know Troobs and Nottingham that I really do like. Yeah. Um, I've got a table for Nottingham, and again, it depends on where we are personally and and as a as a society with with everything going on. So. That's it. That's my big thing at the minute. Yeah. But. So, but I'd like to, I'd like to do that as well. So, yeah, you know, we're hoping to get back out and about, really. But awesome. check out Art Nine Two as usual. You know, that's it. Like I said, I'll put all the links in the show notes, so yeah. people have, have got no excuse not to head on over there. But yeah, no, cheers for doing this. I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, always a pleasure. Back on again mate. soon always with another one. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, go and go and get yourselves a big drink and enjoy <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. You'll love it. Absolutely that's love it. it. Awesome. Cheers, man. Cheers. Bye bye, mate. See ya. Take it easy. I'm not gonna say goodbye. Why aren't you guys gonna tell me to the city limits anyway? Yes, we are. I figured you would. I was thinking about stopping off and getting something to drink, though. Yeah, we sort of figured you would. Does that mean you guys are gonna join me? Uh, I don't think so, Axel. We're still on duty. Well, I don't think one beer is gonna kill us, Billy. That's right. Listen to Taggart here, Rose. We're lighting up, all right? One drink's not going to chill us. But guys, if you fall too far behind, don't be afraid to honk, okay? Where are we going, anyway? Don't worry about it. Just follow my lead. Another perfect place. You guys will love it. Trust me. That was Beverly Hills Cop. And why not? I'd like to thank Damien for joining me on this episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check out Damon and Helena's Comics and Art by searching for Art92 online, or by checking out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, and you can be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or a subscribe over on Acast, or wherever you listen to the episodes. Or don't, it's up to you. If you've missed the Lethal Weapon episode, or any And Why Not episodes so far, you can find them over on our podcast channel, over on Acast, or on our website at hauntednerds.com, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you like looking at lists, we have an and why not list over on Letterboxd as well. Join us back here next week when I'll be joined by Dan Butcher to discuss the film that Beverly Hills Cop might have been, Cobra. But until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening and remember, if you ever have trouble with your car, do a quick check of unwanted fruit in your exhaust pipe. Bye for now. Get the fuck out of here! Somebody else-